With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger Radio Show Podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. In fact, the name badger probably comes from the French word beche, meaning digger. It's that badger style. Hi, badgers. Welcome to another edition of the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast. It's James going to take you through the edition this week. James the Cricket Badger. I've been sat, I've been thinking a lot about the podcast over the last couple of weeks, looking at other people's podcasts, cricket, sport and otherwise, trying to think of good things we could do in 2019 to make the Cricket Budget Radio Show podcast as good as it can possibly be. We've had a ball in 2018, some fantastic guests throughout, but you never stop learning, you never stop trying to make this as good as it can possibly be. I thank you so much for all of your listens and your ears and your correspondence throughout 2018. It's been fantastic to have you on board in increasing numbers, rapidly growing audience. And last January, I could never have dreamed that the podcast would be as popular as it is at the moment. And 2019, some big plans ahead to make the podcast even better, even stronger, and hopefully will keep you thoroughly entertained. You'll notice if you follow the at cricket underscore badger Twitter feed that we're going to have the badgers, our equivalent of the Oscars, to mark the end of the year. It'll be one of the future editions of the podcast. The awards, and there's a number of categories. We'd like your vote to decide who takes the badger. There's the best newcomer emerging player under the age of 23 currently being decided as I speak. And there's plenty of other categories to come over the next few days. So if you wouldn't mind giving it a follow and casting your vote because we've had some pretty decent cricket as we've gone through 2018 and with the ashes in 2019 the promise of lots more ahead 
one of the things I've been doing too, taking a bit of a step back, as I say, listening to some other podcasts, picking up some ideas, but also revisiting why cricket? Why am I the cricket badger? I remember when I used to work at Yorkshire County Cricket Club and you drove into the car park every day and you'd work at a test match ground and you'd be working alongside the likes of Darren Goff, Michael Vaughan, and in latter years, Johnny Burstow and Joe Root. Sometimes it comes a job, just like anything else. And it's good to step back or to pinch yourself or to revisit some of your ideas because flipping heck, I am blessed to be the cricket badger. Barbados in March, Abu Dhabi in October, sharing a commentary box with Brian Lara, Mahela Jai Wardner and Brad Hogg, rubbing shoulders with Gordon Greenwich and Desmond Haynes. For me, it doesn't get a huge amount better than that. And I hope that the passion and the excitement and the enthusiasm for cricket comes across in the Cricket Budget Radio Show podcast. It certainly is there, I can tell you. And I am hungry for 2019. Going to make some changes to the podcast, as I say, and hopefully make it bigger, better and an enjoyable listen. This week's podcast, though, as I say, been taking a bit of a step back and thinking about why cricket? Why is it such a turn on? And my guest this week, Graham Hardcastle, Yorkshire and Lancashire journalist and a great mate of mine over the uh, last few years as we travelled all over the place together at various times, following cricket and covering cricket. We start off with Graham asking that question, why, when there's a whole world of other opportunities, why have we delved and badgered and beavered and worked in cricket? It's that badger style. You ask a lot of people the same question and they give you the same answer, don't they? Really? Just used to go down watching your old man or something <laughs> at the ground and your club, you know, all that kind of stuff. That, that, that wasn't my way in, though. My, well, you're, different. you're different, aren't you? Yeah, well, obviously. My dad, he's not, he's, he's a sports fan. He's got he's got Sky now and he watches the test matches. But when I was a kid, it wasn't my dad that kind of said, oh, the cricket starts now, let's get it on. It was me that was doing that. Now, I started off by going down to... I went, well, I'll tell you the story. I went down to Canterbury. I went down with my grandma and my mum's side of the family is from Kent. So it was a little bit of a a summer holiday, one August, just to go down and see the relatives and go down and see, you know, catch up with various people. And it was my my mum's mum, so her side of the family. And we stayed with my Uncle Reg and my Auntie Joyce. And on the Sunday, my Uncle Reg was going to go to Canterbury to watch the cricket with his son, John. This is my great Uncle Reg. He wasn't very well that morning and he was starting to think about, yeah, I'm I'm not sure if I'm going to go. And anyway, John turns up at the doorstep and last minute, Uncle Reg says, no, I'm not going to go. And they start looking at me and they look at me and they think, because I was was about seven, and they look at me and they think, you know, is he old enough to actually, for it to be worthwhile? In the end, they decide, I am. I might fidget and stuff, and it was, was going to be a risk, but I might fidget. And it was an old Sunday league game. So myself and John, who I guess is my second cousin, um, went up to Canterbury to watch Kent versus Yorkshire. In a Sunday league game, Geoffrey Boycott was opening the batting for Yorkshire. He got out for not very many, if my memory serves me right. So the likes of the Asifik Bull, Derek Underwood, Alan not playing, because in those days, people that were playing for England also played for their counties quite prolifically. And I sat there through the 80 overs to... Two lots of 40 overs sat there without moving a muscle, so much so that the 
two old women that were sat in front of us, I can remember it very clearly, turned around to me just at the start of the second innings and said, oh, he's been very good today. And they bought me some fruit pastels. So I was basically bribed by sweets to get into cricket. I can still remember the smells of the stand because it was when smoking was allowed in those days. So there's like pipe smoke wafting around in the stand. Mm. And that was my first memory of getting into cricket. And from there, we went down pretty much every summer. I watched the Canterbury Cricket Week every single summer. I used to get my pocket money and buy little bits out of the gift shop and stuff, get my autograph book and hang outside the changing rooms to, room, yeah. to wait for people to come down to get the autographs and my heroes to come down and get their autographs and everything. And that, that was my, my route to cricket. And obviously when I got home back to Lincolnshire, which is where I grew up, the TV was turned on by me to watch the test matches. Yeah. And I used to go down into the field to try and be Ian Botham or one of my heroes off the telly. No, oh, well, there you go. Perfect. But your, your route was with your dad, was it? Well, yeah, yeah. You just, you know, my dad, my dad used to play at the, the club. And I, I, didn't, I don't actually remember watching him, but because he retired a bit earlier than he should have done through a knee injury. But we always used to go down on a Saturday and I'd, he'd perhaps watch and talk to old mates and stuff like that. And, and I'd, I'd go and play in the, the nets and, and then go and play on the, the outfield at tea time, you know, that kind of stuff. Did, did your dad not necessarily force you to do that, but that, you know, if your dad hadn't been in your life, do you reckon cricket would have found you? I, I, I haven't a clue. I can't, I can't actually, that's a pretty difficult question to answer because I've never never really known anything different. So you, you would have expected so, wouldn't you? How, how do you, how can you quantify that? Because Adelaide might grow up and she might play for England women. Would that be because of, of, of us being into cricket as a family? Probably. But she might not. She might have. Had, she might have always had the talent. But it comes a bit back to your book, doesn't it? It's quite a deep discussion, really. I, I genuinely don't know that answer. My book, the. I mean, I, I spoke to a lot of sons of fathers and asked that question, and they they initially were like, "You, you know, how, how do I know? You know, how do I know if, if I'd have been mm. a cricketer if my dad hadn't been a cricketer?" But I think when you when you actually added up the the building blocks and pieced it all together, yeah. Speaking to Brett Dolivera, for example, Worcestershire cricketer, he was saying that you know his dad Damien was coaching. He used to take him to games. And in the end, Brett would be... I, I guess some of it was necessity because it was he was going to look after the kid while well, I'll take him with me. But in the end, you know, Brett was loving it. He was going to, going to all the grounds. He was playing cricket with people there and getting absolutely immersed in, in the game. And I think if you, if you grow up in a, in a household where cricket is on the agenda and there's bats lying around and people are talking about it a little bit, you, you know, you, you're far more likely to yeah, be turned yeah. on to it. Yeah, but it's, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult question to answer when you said if you don't have been around. Do you think the game would have found you? Well, you, you can't answer that, can you? Because you, you don't know. It, it would have been less likely to have found because because you don't have that initial influence. I, I guess that you, 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 it's how your brain's wired a little bit, isn't it? You know, if, if me, me and you, obviously, we, we effectively are cricket badges. We love the game. We'd, we'd go and watch it and we'd, we read up about it and we find everything we can out about it. But if, if your brain's that way inclined, I guess cricket's the fit, isn't it? That's the jigsaw piece that goes in. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be very surprised if kind of sport or cricket and the family, but because, you know, the whole family was immersed in it. Me and mum's side were, were big golfers. My granddad was a very, very good golfer. And he always said that had I stuck at it, I would have had a very good chance of turning pro. But I was at the stage where I actually found playing it at that stage quite boring. And cricket always won out and, and even football won out. I always remember one time, and I might have told you this before, that I ended up with making the final of a golf competition at, at the club and it clashed with a Bolton Wanderers game and we were season ticket holders and it was a general league game. I made the final of this golf competition. It was a match play event and I pulled out the day before because I just wanted to go to the, the football and I was basically vilified at the golf club. And 
I went every week. Yeah, probably a bit like that. But, um, you know, we went to the Wanderers week after week after week. So that wasn't a a new experience, but making the final of a golf golf competition was. And I remember in the semi-final, it's amazing how how sport works. Uh, You know, these little things. I remember getting to the the stage of the semi-final and I won on the 20th hole. And I remember trying to miss the putt because I knew that if I made the final, then I, I would have to have a, a fairly hard decision to make. And I tried to miss the putt with about a 10-footer and hold it and won. And then, Maybe you, you should know, try that more often. Yeah, yeah. You'd have held them all, wouldn't you? You can try your might when you desperately want something and it probably slid by, but you don't want something, you don't try very hard, you want to miss it and it goes and wipes its feet and like slides in. Sport was always a big part of our family, so I, I would have been very surprised had sport not found us, but if you're, if you're kind of, I mean, you're quite deep into it, if you're saying, well, do you think sport would have found you if your dad wasn't there? Well, if that was the case, my granddad wouldn't have been there and you, you can go on so long. The fact of the matter is that he was and and, and cricket was a massive part of, of my my upbringing. Are you looking for a book to buy that cricket fan at Christmas? Following on in the footsteps of Cricketing Fathers by James Butler is the perfect gift for somebody in your family. Rated five stars on Amazon. Ever wondered what it was like to be the son of a famous father? Would you live in his shadow or find the skill and strength to create your own limelight? Following on explores the multi-generational nature of cricket and examines the father and son relationships in sport. How does the weight of expectation, advantage or pressure to succeed influence a young cricketer's progress as they follow in the footsteps of a successful father? Do cricketing sons have a head start in their genes? Is there a gene for elite cricket performance? Following on is based on exclusive interviews with Liam Botham, Alan Ian and Mark Butcher, Nick Compton, Chris Graham and Fabian Cowdery, Simon Dennis, Brett Dolivera, Alan and Mark Elam, Dale Hadley, Dean Headley, Simon Jones, Jake Lehman, David and Graham Lloyd, Martin Moxon, Arnie and Ryan Sidebottom, Alex Stewart and Tim and Chris Tremlett. The issues are developed and discussed with the words of the players themselves and also sports psychologists and experts in genomics. James Butler takes us on a journey of discovery, asking the questions and examining the responses while making comparisons with other sports and the worlds of entertainment and business. It's the perfect Christmas present for any cricket lover, available on Amazon and in all good bookshops, published by Great Northern Books. Following on in the footsteps of Cricketing Fathers, Stick it in your stocking now. Hi, my name is Brian Laura, and you're listening to the Cricket Batcher podcast. What is it about cricket, Graham? I mean, I know what turns me on about it, but it's, I guess it's quite hard to put into words, isn't it? What is it about cricket that, I guess, pushes your buttons? Um, well, I actually quite like the variety of it. I, I, I'm not like... I haven't grown up in the T20 era, for example, but I still think it has a massive part in the game. I love during the winter... I love, for example, sitting down and watching the Big Bash or or the South African League, or I've, I've watched a bit recently of the, the T10 League, just out of interest to see how that, that's gone. But I also appreciate and, and, and still prefer the, the longer format of the game. I think there's there's far more nuance to that, the ebbs and flows and, and things like that, the, the atmosphere 
that you get live as a test match is unbeatable. I remember I was there for, in a working capacity, when Warren got his 700th test wicket at uh, Melbourne at the MCG in 2006, Boxing Day. And the roar was just like nothing I've ever experienced before. And and I, I just don't think you'd get that in, in T20, uh, maybe in India, but I can't see you getting it anywhere else. But still, I believe that the T20 has improved, certainly with the fielding and the skill of players, has improved test match cricket. You look at how England played in Sri Lanka. They played some scintillating attacking cricket, aggressive cricket. And it's all about the variety for me. I think I just think there's so much to kind of, to use your phrase, to, to push your buttons in a sense. And it's it's always been ingrained in me. I always, I always used to say that I preferred, as a, as a youngster, I always used to prefer watching football and playing cricket than playing football and watching cricket. But that, that, has, that has changed quite considerably in the last 20 years for me probably probably since I was like 16 17 that changed quite dramatically and I would take if somebody offered me a ticket to go and watch a Lancashire Yorkshire T20 or Barcelona Real Madrid in the uh, in the El Clasico I'd choose Lancashire Yorkshire no doubt I think for me the I mean I, I, I love football as well you could say the same about football that no match is ever the same but I think with, with cricket there are so many permutations you know particularly like you the longer form game test matches or four day cricket you can get so many different sways in a game you know one team's on top another team is then on top I heard who was the player that was listening to being interviewed the other day I think that was Jimmy Anderson I think he said you know after a five day test match you can be as a player completely exhausted because one team's on top then you're battling back and the other team's on top and it's five days potentially of quite seriously different emotional yeah. roller coaster kind of moments and it's the same as a, as a watcher isn't it if you're supporting a side or if you're just watching a, a game yeah. as a spectacle you know, you're taking on a journey aren't you where you can be on top one moment in depths of despair the next then somebody hits a century and you're back on top again yeah you know in all fairness though t20 can still provide that you know, you look at the one glaring example to me was that World T20 final, which kind of fell from England's grasp, where they, they almost pulled yeah. defeat from the jaws of victory when 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 Brathwaite, Larrett, Stokes over the ropes, what was it, four times for six in the last over. So I can imagine that being pretty pretty draining emotionally from from that point of view. You'd uh, imagine as an England fielder, I mean, you can never count your chickens in a T20, but... You'd, you'd almost be waving to your family in the crowd. You? you would be counting oh, yeah. your chickens in that situation, wouldn't you? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, your neck's aching, watching the ball fly over the ropes, yeah. and it's a completely different set of emotions going through. I don't, th- I don't think you'd have been getting too concerned after the first one went. No. But after the second one, you'd be... Maybe, you maybe not even after the second, but when the third yeah, one... I don't know, when, when they, they, need, they, needed eight, they needed 18, didn't they? they? needed 18 off the last over, or was it 19? It might have been 19 off the last over. So when the second one goes, and it's... It's gone down from, say, it was 19, 13, 7 off 4. Then, I don't know what, 95 times out of 100, the batting side would win from 7 off 4. So... So I bet there was, I bet there were a few concerns after the second one went, but yeah. certainly after the first one. You'd be, but you're right. I mean, the T20 when it first came out. I mean, I, I always used to describe the three formats as being T20 would be like a TV advert, and we're getting a lot of those at the moment. Are we Christmas arounds, and everybody's the shops seem to pride themselves on putting out a, an advert that appeals. Uh, I, I always described the 50 over stuff as being more like a TV, an hour long TV program or a half hour long TV program. And I can then, see where you're going with this. And then a, te- a test. You're going to bring Amos 
celebrity in, aren't you? <laughs> a test match would be more like a feature film. An outstanding feature film is the best of the, of the, of yeah. the bunch. But you yeah. can get some seriously good and entertaining adverts as well, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, can. Yeah, and that's yeah, what people it's, talk it's about. A, it's a good, it's a good analogy, really. But yeah, the, the variety, the variety of cricket. Yes, there is, there is variety in football to a certain degree because you've got away grounds, different countries, different atmospheres, and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, every game of football, or pretty much every game of football, depending on, I, I suppose, some youth games are, are forty minutes aside, five aside games, and whatever else. But beach soccer, I suppose, the professional game is ninety minutes, and that's all you get. Whereas, whereas cricket the time scale it is so different and and you're playing you're playing on different surfaces whether it's Australia fast and bouncy India low slow and turning if you played a football game in Australia and you played a football game in India the conditions wouldn't be that different just be a bit um, hotter yeah yeah but the, the underfoot conditions wouldn't be that different yeah. Um, so that's that's the difference in cricket. There are so many, so many variables, and those variables are changing day after day after day. You know, you you're getting so many different different rule changes. You know, we were just talking off air a bit ago about the the bat ruling where you you know it now has to go through a almost like a what's the word I'm looking for a um, a letterbox or whatever. Yeah, like. Um, yeah, but to grade uh, it, box kind of stencil to, yeah. to to kind of grade it. Yeah, so so there are so many different bits and bobs of things that that, that can change the game so drastically. I mean, I, I always think as well. I mean, uh, Joe Say said to me. I mean, I mentioned the weather, but the Joe said, yeah, we cricketers we follow the sun, and that does play a big part, isn't it? I mean, I know. I know, I know we're in the UK and I know it isn't always sunny. We've just, we've just come off the back of a decent summer so we can be fairly... And, we're starting, and we're starting the new season on the 30th of March. <laughs> it's going to be nice, isn't it? March. There'll be a few gloves being worn on that day. But generally speaking... Might be, it might be, the, th- might be the 31st, but hey, hey what's a day? Generally speaking, though, the, the, yeah, the weather does play a part as a spectator. You, yeah, there's nothing beats a day sat in the stands watching a game of cricket with a sunbeam down on you and uh, watching somebody take a load of wickets or, or score a big century. It, it's fantastic. It's it's the greatest game in the world. There's no uh, there are there are games for me. There are sports for me that that, that kind of have a place and really close to that I love tennis being being the secondary secondary one to me and that and then football and and other sports that that I enjoy apart from that. But nothing beats cricket. Absolutely nothing beats cricket. Discover one of the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the Caribbean at the Accra Beach Hotel and Spa. Located on the south coast of Barbados, this beachfront property offers 224 rooms, sparkling pools, four restaurants, three bars, an on-site spa, event and conferencing facilities, and a welcoming team providing unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? Book your reservation at this award-winning hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream. And professionally, 
you know, we've both worked in cricket now or in and around cricket now for, for quite some time. And I think, generally speaking, the players make a, a job easy or more enjoyable. Because I think cricketers have decent brains, most of them, and they they good good to talk to. And even when you ask them a bad question, which I know isn't very often, but, you know, sometimes you get well, stuck and you ask them a bad question. <laughs> <laughs> and, you uh, yeah, they help you out because they understand what you're trying to get to and they understand that the media can help them as well. Players play a part. And I think, yeah, generally speaking, the fellow people in the media, it's a good standard, good a good set of people. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great... Every job has its challenges. There are plenty in, in cricket. Be, being on the road through the summer travelling biggest the biggest problem I have in my job that causes me the most frustration is the travelling up and down whether it's the M6 the M25 or whatever else touch wood I've, I've kind of never not arrived on time for a game because of the traffic there have been a few times where I've I've been run close and I went to Nottingham for example a game at Trembridge at T20 last summer takes me two hours usually from home and it took me six <laughs> and it, I was just lucky that I allowed myself six hours and 15 minutes to get there <laughs> you know? so anyway yeah that's that's the biggest challenge but yeah. I, I got a speeding fine on the way to Scarborough once I was uh, travelling across from Leeds to Scarborough and that were, you trying, was... were you trying to get out or? Uh, no I was trying to get, I was trying to get there because I, I, I felt like I was running late so I was, I was probably driving rather mm. too quick so I got pulled over mm. so yeah it's false economy isn't it because being pulled over for 15 minutes and, and being quizzed by a policeman doesn't accelerate your journey at all but yeah I mean it's um, it's a fantastic environment to be in there's no doubt about that I think the standard of writing as well. I mean, I know we've got into a more digital age, but I think cricket cricket has developed quite nicely in terms of the media and yeah, websites are doing the videos and they're doing things that are a little bit more interactive and social media and what have you. But we've still got some very good writers in cricket. And I think compared to some other sports, there are very good writers in other sports, but there are some very fine writers in cricket. Yeah, again, there's, there's so much colour to be added to it, isn't there? That's, that's what helps. That's what helps a lot of uh, things. Um, and it's quite an analytical game. The standard of broadcasting, I think Sky do a, a fabulous job. I think that helps helps everybody look at cricket in a different way, um, in a more analytical way, in a more informed way. And yeah, there, there are some there are some fabulous writers around, not including myself in that. <laughs> <laughs> you have your moments. Not very many of them. <laughs> <laughs> Where, where's your favourite place? That you, I mean, I've travelled around a lot with you and we've been lucky enough to go to some very pleasant places to watch cricket, not just in this country, but abroad as well. Where, where, what's your favourite ground? What's the favourite ground you've covered cricket at? Are you talking... Worldwide or just just yeah. England? Yeah, worldwide. Oh, there are a couple. One would be the Adelaide Oval. I covered cricket before the redevelopment there, so, so it's changed a bit. So I'd imagine it's a it's a better it's a better facility to work from now. But that's a that's a fantastic venue. And another would be uh, Newlands at Cape Town, which which you were which you were there when when I had that experience. That's a again that's an unbelievable crowd. And we were actually down on the outfield, weren't we, when Yorkshire were training there? And I was amazed how how actually how how much of an intimate venue it is. Yeah, it was it was very very small for a test ground, but what what scenery. Yeah, what what struck me, we, we I can remember turning up at that ground for the first time. We, we got down there, and it was to see Yorkshire train. And we we got off the bus and uh, or out the taxi and uh, walked through the car park. We weren't quite sure where to get through, and we realised that it was round round the side of the stand. There was a little hole to get through to the ground. But, uh, you walk through that little that little alleyway, and you see the green of the grass, which is just like any other cricket ground. And then as you get 
into the, the grass itself and into the arena, you see that three quarters of the ground is a very, very nicely set up, traditional kind of looking cricket ground. And then you look to your right and you see Table Mountain and the blue sky above. That just took my breath away for, for a second yeah, when, yeah. I, when I first yeah. saw that. It was just astonishing. We'd already been in, in Cape Town for a while, so we knew Table Mountain was there. But just to see that ground... I think we had, didn't we have a hotel right underneath Table Mountain? Well, look, I can remember we, we actually shared a twin room in Cape Town, didn't we? And I opened the curtains and Table Mountain was out the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. It was, uh, it, yeah, and you, you did quite well there because we, um, we were we were travelling on a bit of a budget, and you'd sorted out. I left it to you to sort out the hotel, and uh, we got a very good deal in a very nice hotel for hardly anything a night at all. And it was yeah. per- it was perfect, wasn't it? Absolutely superb. Yeah. That entire trip, um, I think, was my best away trip in in terms of covering cricket. I, I had I had another venue start, my favourite ground in England to go to, and I always love going there. And I haven't been there for a few years actually. It's Hove. Um, it's my favourite favourite ground in, in England by a, by a quite a distance really what is it about the home that you like it's again quite intimate good viewing I love the fact that you can walk around the whole the whole arenas there's the bookshop there or the bookstall you know there's ice cream tents then there's the deck chairs at the at the far end I think it's the Cromwell Road end at the top end uh, our our viewpoint in the in the press box is is down the sea end. So all the deck chairs at the top end. I, I think it's just a, a great ground. And, and also, I think Hove is a lovely little lovely little place to be around. You know, decent restaurants, some decent bars and pubs, and uh, and yeah, it's it, it's a great place. I made the mistake when we went down to uh, Hove for a four day game one year. And as a freelancer, same as you, you try and limit your budget so that you, you uh, stay in hotels that don't break the bank and make the trip not worthwhile financially. There's a lot of hotels down there that basically advertise themselves as being boutique. And it sounds quite nice, the word boutique. And it was about £60 a night, which was enough for me. And I got down there and he showed me into this room and it was the size of, I think it was probably about seven foot long and about four foot wide. The bed only just fitted into it. There was a TV that was hanging off the wall and a, and a cupboard to put your clothes in that was the size of a shoebox. And that was my uh, my evening's uh, re- retreat for the four days mm-hmm. down in Hove. Reasonably expensive place to stay. But yeah, I, I agree. It's a very nice ground. I, 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 I had a, a, similar, a similar situation. I, I mean, obviously, trying to trying to cut costs and things like that, as, we, as we've done in the past, uh, you know, I've often shared rooms with the likes of, and this was when I was covering Lancashire, shared rooms with the likes of Martin Hindley, Scott Reid, who, who's in who's in City now with BBC Radio Lancashire, Chris Malaband, who, who was who was there before Scott. I remember we went down to to Hove, and it was when Chris Chris Malaband was was part of the the travelling gang with the Radio Lancashire. We ended up staying in a place. It was it, I think it was booked up mainly for Mardi Gras that week. I think the, the game clashed, and we ended up staying in a place called the Pink Pavilion. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a nice hotel, it, you know, it, it did the job. But boy, did we get some stick for that. Where are you <laughs> staying this week, lads? Pink Pavilion. What? <laughs> you know. I bet you've been back since, though, haven't you? <laughs> I, can't, I, I think it was in Brighton, actually. I think the, the actual place was in Brighton. And no, I haven't yeah. been back since. My, my favourite ground in the UK different to yours it's uh, Trent Bridge I've right. always loved going to Trent Bridge not only I mean in terms of the media setup, the, the food there is great which is always a big thing but the I think the ground there for a test match venue they have done a superb job with Trent Bridge the way that the old blends in with the new and they've, yeah. they've, they've really thought about it 
and I think it's a, it's a cracking ground to watch cricket. Yeah. I love trips to Nottingham. It's it's not one of my favourite, but it's, it's certainly a pleasant experience. There's no doubt about that. You, you mentioned I'm a celebrity. We might as well chat chat about that. For a <laughs> I, I think this this year I'm a celebrity is as good as as we've seen for a while. And I I, I work for a, a betting firm, and I've been writing reviews for for betting companies on I'm a Celebrity this year and I find it actually quite hard to pick a winner I know Harry Redknapp is hot favourite but I, I I think that Fleur who's in there and also Emily might actually go past him in a way but I think it's quite a hard one to call this year Yeah um, I mean I haven't really thought about it in betting terms Yeah I mean I think Harry's come across re- really well um, I actually think he's he's just maybe dipped off a little bit over the last couple of days I, I still think he'll probably win it I was, I was quite surprised to see Noel Edmonds go I must admit that was a shock wasn't it it was yeah I think I think voting public don't like it when people go in late was it as big a shock was Noel Edmonds going as big a shock as it was to hear that Mohamed Afiz was retiring from test cricket this <laughs> 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 different kind of shock but yeah yeah <laughs> We're offering you the opportunity to play your part in the growth of the Cricket Badger radio show podcast. We have quite literally gone through the roof in terms of listeners over the last year. And there's an opportunity for you to get your business in front of the cricket world by sponsoring or advertising on the Cricket Badger radio show podcast. We're giving away headline sponsorship and also a maximum of four adverts per week. Get yourself on the Cricket Badger radio show podcast. Get yourself in front of our fantastic listeners and help the podcast continue to grow we've had some fantastic guests over the last year i've lost count of the number of test caps and captains that we've had some great stories too and you could be alongside those big names offering your services to the cricket world get in touch cricketbadger at hotmail.com or telephone james on 077-999-64812 to grab this with both hands don't let it drop through your fingers England have obviously done fantastically well in Sri Lanka. I thought it was going to be quite a tough trip. I maybe overestimated Sri Lanka a little bit when I was thinking that because I think Sri Lanka are very much a work in progress. You can only beat the team that's in front of you. The one standout for me, obviously there's a number of young players made a mark and there's some great performances, but the one person I think that deserves a lot of credit for that was Joe Root. Yeah, the jury, not necessarily out in terms of his captaincy, but I think everybody understood that he was learning the ropes a little bit and making his mark. I think he really stood up and made a few big decisions there. The team followed him and they succeeded off the back of it. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? First series after Alistair Cook. You, do, you, you wonder how, how big an impact that would have had whilst Cook's runs so needed in a sense and probably still are needed that Root's influence was lauded immediately after Cook departed so maybe that was a, a little bit of a weight off without really knowing it and, and I'm sure that Rooty would have said oh I still want Alistair around if, if he'd have had that choice perhaps without knowing it perhaps subconsciously that helped him a little bit but yeah I think I think they played a real attacking brand of cricket that just imposed themselves on, on the opposition and, uh, and, and with that came Rooty's kind of almost growing in stature in, in that role and fingers crossed he can go from strength to strength uh, you know that they've got the West Indies coming up which they should win and then, then it's the big one isn't it and it will be it, that, that just promises to be a great series I, I, I realise that that all cricketers will say oh we just take one series at a time and, and stuff like that but you just can't help but look forward to that series now the, the Ashes in, in, in August 
time, it's going to be fantastic. We, we all know that the Ashes is different. Australia in a bit of disarray at the moment, you'd have to say. They're kind of questioning each other there. A number of people have stepped down from various positions in Australian cricket. But you know damn well, by the time we get to next summer, they'll have got themselves sorted out and they'll be as keen as anybody to win that series. Yeah, well, I'm not sure whether they will have got themselves sorted out. There's still a lot of... A lot of things to happen in their setup. I mean, you know, you've got the you've got a massive series coming up, which starts over the next couple of days against India. I, I, I can't see them winning that, but they're going to have a better chance on home soil, of course. But then move on from that, and then I think they've got Sri Lanka at home after Christmas, and then it's all about how do you shoehorn Warner and Smith back into that side? Not not how do you? That's that, that's the wrong phraseology because. They are, without doubt, two world-class players who who would get in that side every day of the week. But there will still be a lot of focus on people saying, should they be shoehorned straight back into the side? Do they not need a little bit of a lead-up and and, and do they not have to earn the right to get back in? It's going to be a fascinating few months in terms of Australian cricket. And I I think I, I can't really see much beyond England and England victory. If I'm if I'm being honest, I was out in Barbados when the news of Sandpapergate broke, and there was a lot of talk around the camp there and the various players and the uh, the, the media out there that Smith would walk back into the team when his punishment was finished. David Warner maybe not so much. Do you think that's still the case, or do you think David Warner gets back in? Because I mean, well, if, if you actually go through it, and oh, obviously it's from a distance, but it seems to me that Smith was naive, took his eye off the ball, allowed people to maybe do things that he should not have done. But Warner was was the person yeah. actually pushing the buttons there. Yeah, I think I think the one thing that will help Warner is that the World Cup is first. He would he will walk back into that team surely. I, I, I think he will he will end up as as Finch's opening partner quite comfortably off the top of my head I can't really think of, of many people who would who would push him out and then if he has a good World Cup then you would think he would he would be an Ashes contender and well not not, not a contender but you would think he'd probably start they have got a few more options in, in test match terms you know Finch Kowadja Joe Burns is is in reasonable form I don't think it's a hundred percent guaranteed that Warner will will make his return in the Ashes, but I, I think it's probably likely. I, but I can't I can't say how they can leave Smith out because he's just top quality, isn't he? And he, he's almost a little bit like the Mohammed Amir of that kind of scandal, really. He almost seems to have been the one who's been led astray. I'm taking out Cameron Bancroft from that, of course, because he is the young pup. But but certainly, as as you were just saying a few minutes ago, that it seems like Warner was the real the real ringleader and the real driving force behind it all. Thank you so much for listening to the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast. Your feedback has been both encouraging and very, very welcome. Our listeners are growing week on week. The podcast is now available on Spotify, Audio Boom, iTunes, YouTube, and all major platforms. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on at cricket underscore badger. Email the show cricketbadger at hotmail.com. Respond to the points made. Make suggestions for future content and play your part as the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast goes from strength to strength. This year, Graham, on the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast, we're going to do the Badgers, our equivalent of the Oscars. 
for the awards for the cricket for 2018. We've got a vote that's on the at cricket underscore badger Twitter feed at the moment for the best newcomer emerging player under 23. And that could have been from anybody. It's been nominated by people on the Twitter feed. Got four contenders here. I'll run you down them. Shaheen Afridi, who we saw out in the UAE. He was uh, Pakistan up and coming fast bowler. Very impressive. Sam Curran, obviously England and Surrey, who's had a superb 2018 year. Ollie Pope of Surrey as well, championship winner and has made his uh, England debut. Privy Shaw, the young Indian batsman who's touted as being uh, the next big thing when it comes to India. Of those four, any opinions on who you'd like to see win that? Um, Sam Curran, I think. I'll qualify the reasons why, but a large part of it is I can't really give you a massive insight into Privy Shaw because I haven't actually seen him bat. I might have seen him. I might have seen him at the under-19s World Cup in a game or two, but can't quite remember him. But he's obviously had a great start to his, his Test career. You can't you can't deny that the numbers speak for themselves. Shaheen Afridi, I've only seen a snapshot of him, and he was absolutely fabulous in that final against the Titans for Lahore in Abu Dhabi. He bowled an absolutely exceptional final over. Um, and he again, his numbers speak for themselves. I saw a bit of the Australia-Pakistan one-day series, the New Zealand series. He's made his test debut this week, and he's bowled really, really well. And if you're taking performance over, you know, Curran over Pope, then Pope, yeah, has done superbly. I saw him score a fabulous century against Yorkshire in a championship match down at the Oval. It was one of the best innings, probably probably the best innings that I've seen all last season. I'm, I'm sure it would rank quite highly in, in innings that I've seen going further back than last season as well. But Curran has really stepped up to, to test cricket and made that spot his own. He, he performed in county cricket and his coolness in in the test arena, as much with the bat as the ball, has been quite exceptional. You know, he's he's been a key reason why England have won test matches. Was it that one at Edgebaston? Was it Edgebaston where they came? They defended quite a low a low total against India. Uh, yep. And he scored he scored runs, second innings runs that, that got them up to, to a, a defendable target or a or a target that they could they had half a chance of defending and, and ended up doing so. Um so so yeah, I think I think he's the he's the one for me. I'm with you on that. I think yeah you you, you Sam Curran is a really good example of somebody that has basically taken his opportunities. I mentioned Barbados earlier, but out in March, um, in Barbados in March of this year, um, he was a member of the, the Lions team out there playing in the MCC game. And you know, a few months later, he's one of England's stars. He can, If you take your opportunities, the uh, the world's your lobster and you can really make big inroads into the international scene. Sam Curran's had a fantastic 2018 season. Graham? It's, it's exactly the same as John Barrowman. On Adam Swabbers, he's done exactly that, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly. He, he, he's proved it on the international scene. Well, I hope that Sam Curran in England dressing room doesn't actually make everything into a song from the shows. But apart <laughs> from that, Sam Curran and John Burrowman, my hat is off to you. Twenty eighteen has been <laughs> your year. <laughs> it's that Badger style. My thanks to Graham Hardcastle this week. Always good guest. Always good company. And I'm sure you'll hear his dulcet tones again in 2019. I'll be back again with guests and cricket chat on the Cricket Budget Radio Show podcast. Thank you very much for listening this week. 
it is much appreciated if you could take a little bit of time out follow the at underscore cricket badger twitter feed maybe add a positive and constructive comment on any of the podcast platforms that you listen to this on it would be hugely appreciated thank you very much for being with me until next week enjoy your cricket badges Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.